0: If you have your Bible this morning, I'd love for you to open to Malachi chapter three. Uh, we'll be starting in verse six today. As you turn there, I had to tell you a little story. Two men uh, were shipwrecked on an island, and in these type of emergencies, it always uh, kind of comes out there. There are different responses. People respond to these crises in different ways. These personalities emerge, and so. The minute they stepped foot on the island, this was very clear. Not one man was just in sheer panic mode. You know, we're we're gonna die. We're doomed out here. There's no food. There's no water. Nobody knows where we're here. Uh, and the other man was very calm. Uh, he just simply propped himself up against a palm tree, like he was just on his own private uh, island, just a, a vacation of sorts. And the other first man again reiterated, "What are you doing? How are you not panicked here? We're, we, there was nothing here for us. So we're gonna die." And The second man said, no, no, we're fine. You know, I make $100,000 a week. And the first man's like, you can't spend it out here. What good will that do us? He said, no, you don't understand. I make $100,000 a week and I tithe. My preacher will find me. (laughs) This morning, as we near the end of this little book of Malachi that we've been studying, we're going to talk about the topic of giving. Uh, but if giving some sermons make you uncomfortable, I-, I want you to rest assured that if you start giving, I won't go hunting for you on desert islands. Um, but it came out wrong. I would still look for you. But uh, what I mean to say is that when churches are often accused of being interested in people uh, only for their money or or make the have these giving sermons and it, it sounds like an appeal for your wallet, uh, our interest and our love and our care for you is not determined by how much you give or if you give. But as we go through this chapter in Malachi, and as we've gone through this series, hopefully you can see that this is not a topic or a passage that I'm cherry-picking or that we're doing because our budget is not being met or we're not being generous enough. None of those things are the case. But what we see here is a natural progression of where this letter has been going for these last few weeks. And so as we talk about giving this morning, I want to do so with kind of three types of givers in mind. There, there are kind of three types of givers when it comes to this idea of being generous with what God has given us. There are some people who are like flint, uh, that rock that you strike hard and you get a spark. You know, Some people need to be hit with this kind of high-pressure appeal to giving before they throw something in the plate. Or some people give as a sponge, you know, you wring you it and you wring it and you squeeze it until what's inside eventually, you know, comes out. You, you, you keep pestering people until they finally feel compelled or guilted into giving. And then there's a third type of giver, which is a honeycomb. And honeycomb, when you hold it in your hand, it just can't help but ooze the contents. You, you have to apply no pressure, but it just gives forth what is within. And it's my hope that we can respond to God's call to give as honeycombs. That our goal this morning is not to guilt you into giving. Because we know that it's easy to respond out of guilt, but guilt doesn't last. When you're a kid and your mom guilts you into cleaning your room or forced you into cleaning your room, what do you do? You, you put things j- away just enough to kind of pass inspection, and then in the weeks and days that follow, the room gets messy again. You know, guilt doesn't last. Generosity lasts. And so as we've progressed through this little book of Malachi... We've done so with kind of this question-answer format in mind, that God will make a statement and Israel will question him or challenge him on that, to which God responds, calling them to some type of conviction. And he does so again this morning with the idea of giving. So as we begin in verse 6 this morning, we see the question posed. God says, "'I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed.'" Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? To which God responds, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? How are we robbing you? As we unpack that question this morning, I think it's interesting that God couches this discussion of giving in the midst of a greater conversation of his faithfulness. Of his faithfulness to this nation of Israel, despite all of the ways they have proven themselves unfaithful. It kind of goes back to chapter 1, that question that Israel proposed, how have you loved us? You know, God looks at Israel and he says, I have loved you and I continue to love you. And Israel looks at their circumstances around them and begins to doubt his love. They have returned to their homeland after this time of exile. And in the midst of this difficulty, as God says, I love you, they ask Him, How? Is this what your love looks like, God? The difficulty and the hardship that surrounds us. And so, in response to this, God reminds them of His covenant faithfulness, that His promise has been made to Israel's descendants. And because He has promised, still they stand despite their unfaithfulness. He says, I do not change. My promise still stands. I'm still here. And despite all of the times you have fallen short, I remain true. And he issues before them, uh, because of this, this call that is the title of this whole sermon series, this idea of return to me. Because while Israel has returned to their land physically, as far as the faithfulness of the relationship goes, they were still in exile. They might be physically back in the land uh, of their ancestors, but their hearts have not yet returned. And in this, I think it's interesting that a few observations come about giving out of this idea of God's faithfulness. The first is that God roots His call to faithful giving in His character, in who He is. God is not asking us to give in a one-way direction, but it's a response to His faithful love for us, that we give back because He has given so much to us already. Our giving to God is not a business transaction, but instead a loving response to His loving kindness. And I think also we observe in here that this relational distance from God was in large part a result of their lack of giving. He calls them to return, to to come back, to be close to Him, and He couches that in the midst of this conversation on tithing. And so this morning, I want you to rest assured that dropping a check in the offering box as you leave today will not give you special access to God. But if you do feel distant in your relationship and are not a tither, there might be more of a connection than you think. I have to look at all the things that God has told Israel through this letter, and the one thing He calls them, the one place He says, return to me, is in the conversation about giving. And so as God calls us to return to him, he makes this direct connection to our grasp on money. Again, starting in verse 7, he says, "'Return to me, and I will return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings,' he says, "'you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house.'" Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Uh, On the surface, as Israel asks this question, as they have done in the last few weeks, we've seen them. Offer these challenges to God's statements. It looks like their response is a repentant and an earnest one. This, how do we return? How do we get back to you? But as we know from the rest of this book, this is not Israel's mindset. Israel is being defensive and stubborn. Essentially, what they're saying is in in regard to what sin should we return? We've done nothing to apologize for God. You are the one who has not met our expectations. They're scandalized that when, God, uh, when it seems like God has turned his back on them, he would call them to return to him. And so when they ask, you know, what have we done wrong? Imagine all of the things God could have said, just from what we've seen in this little book. They've chased after foreign gods and idols. He could have said, you've been cruel to your neighbors or to the foreigners in your midst. You, you worship with empty, callous hearts. You, you offer me lame and diseased animals as sacrifices. But in response to the question of how should we return or what have we done wrong, God could have chosen several things that had separated people from him, but he focuses on just one. They've been robbing him. It wasn't their empty worship or their mistreatment of their neighbors or or the the diseased things that they've been offering as sacrifices that separated them from a relationship with God. It was their lack of giving. In fact, God says, you have robbed me. He doesn't even say, you've withheld from me. He says, you've taken what is mine, which implies that he is the source. And so when it comes to our resources and to our giving, God might entrust what we have into our care, but ultimately it's still his. And as the source of all we have, God doesn't need our money. He already owns everything. Psalm 50 verse 9 says it this way. He says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, the insects in the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. So when God says, you have robbed me by not giving me a tenth of what you have, it reminds us whose money we actually have in our wallets, in our purses, in our bank accounts. And it reminds us that God does not need our tithe to to exist or to flourish or to be who He is, but He invites us to partner with Him in doing something by the giving up of what He has given us. He's saying, I am waiting to bless you with only the blessings that I can provide, but first you have to show me that you trust me. And the way that we show God trust in our finances is through giving what the Bible calls a tithe. A tithe, strictly speaking, is giving 10% to God. It's meant to be a starting point in our giving, that before our other bills or expenses are paid and taken care of, tithing is supposed to be a sacrificial giving of a good portion of our income to honor God, because we believe that He can use what we give Him better than we can. And so this morning, I want to focus on the understanding of tithing, that giving 10% of what we have is is giving back to God what He has blessed us with. It isn't something that we do because of, of an oppressive rule that God has made, but because of a loving response that he deserves. And so along with this expectation of tithing, I want to look at kind of three principles of giving that will lead us, I think, to greater faith and greater faithfulness as we give. And the first principle is this, that tithing is a building block of trust. Tithing is a building block of trust. What I mean by that is when it comes to tithing, it's a building block, a starting point but it's also something that we have to be careful with. When it comes to tithing, it, it seems so sterile, so massed sometimes to apply a percentage to something like giving. We don't want to talk about percents and numbers. We want to talk about people changed and lives transformed through Jesus. But that's exactly what tithing is supposed to be about. A faithful response, not an obligation, to see how God can use it in a greater way. Imagine getting a gift for your special someone and thinking, you know, what is the least amount I can spend and still get credit for this? You know, do I have to get the flowers and the chocolates or just the flowers? Do I have to take them to dinner too? You know, is Wendy's sufficient or do I have to go somewhere fancy? You know? And so if we're not careful, I think this is exactly what tithing can become. Kind of this obligatory 10%. That we cut God a check so that he doesn't get upset with us. But what tithing should do and what tithing should lead us to is to test and see that God is actually honest and trustworthy. I know I don't usually do this, but I want you to answer these next few questions I ask out loud. Most of the time they're hypothetical, but I actually want to hear your voices respond to these. Do you believe that God has forgiven your sins when you accept Jesus? Yes. You guys are so much louder than first service. I appreciate that. Do you believe that because your sins are forgiven, you will spend eternity with him in heaven? Do you believe that God is good and loving and holy? Why do you believe these things? You don't have to answer that one. The reason we believe those things is because that's what he has told us about himself in his word. And if we believe that God was telling the truth about those things, then why are we so hesitant to believe him when he says, If you give me 10%, Of What I've given to you, I will bless that and I will bless you for it. I think one of the most remarkable things about this passage is that it's one of the few and I think maybe the only place in all of Scripture that God actually invites us to test Him. And that's really a a confounding thing when you think about it. The God of the universe who created everything, who could send send solar systems flying out of orbit with a flick of His finger says, test me put me on trial, examine me in this. Check me out and see if I'm telling you the truth. Because there's a blessing attached to giving. He says, if you'll be faithful to me in giving what is a sacrificial portion of what I have blessed you with, then you will be amazed at what I will pour into your life. Tithing builds our trust because it provides us just one more area of our lives where we can see that God will do what he says he will do. I think of it this way. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Niagara Falls. I haven't, except for in pictures. But if you've ever been there, nearby, near the falls, is a suspension bridge to cross the river. It's the one that connects New York to Canada. And when Charles Elliott was uh, the engineer in charge designing this bridge, they came across the problem of how you get that initial support over the gap. It's such a large ravine that even getting a cable to start the suspension bridge was a major obstacle. So many ideas came to mind, kind of each one more complicated than the last. They first just thought about firing a cannonball across the gorge with a string attached to it, uh, towing it across with a, a steamer, even trying to tie it to a small rocket and launch it over the gap. What they ultimately decided to do was open it up to a contest in the neighborhood kid's. They would promote a contest that offered five whole dollars to any kid who could fly a kite across the gap and secure the string to the other side. One of the, one of the boys eventually succeeded, and so what Ella did was use that string to draw a thicker string, and then a small rope, and then a greater rope, and then a small cable, on and on, building bigger and bigger until he got the cable he needed to begin work on this bridge. Years later, when the bridge was finally completed, this huge structure that could support a train showed No sign that had started with just one simple kite string. And I think tithing acts in much the same way. What tithing is, is God's inviting us to this opportunity to float one small string of trust upon which we can build greater and stronger trust in seeing God respond to our obedience. Tithing is a building block of trust. The second principle that we see is that tithing creates within us a heart of generosity, you know, nobody really likes a stingy person. I mean, how many people do you know that you say, you know, my favorite characteristic about him is that he's just a real tightwad. You know, he never gives anything to anybody. He's just, he's just quite a guy. No, we love generous people, and God is a generous God. Luke six thirty eight says it this way, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. When God gives back to us in response to our tithing, he doesn't do so like opening a new bag of chips. You know, is there anything more disheartening than opening a bag of chips that you've just bought? It's like half empty to start with. You know, all of them have shaken down in the course of shipping until it looks like there's about half there. But as God gives, he shakes it down and then pours in more on top of it. God continually makes room to bless us as we respond with our generosity. Tithing invites God to respond generously because it is a declaration in our lives that we trust him to do so. And nowhere do we see his trust and his blessing more apparent than in sending Jesus to redeem us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. We see Jesus, you know, sitting on the throne of heaven, leave that to step into this world that he created that we had so badly messed up. To leave every privilege of being God. To walk among us. So that we might be able to spend eternity with him. That's God's generosity. And when we give financially to God, he promises us, promises that he will enrich our lives financially. But I want you to hear that with a caveat. That as we give, God gives us more, but he doesn't do so that we can just amass wealth. God gives so that we can be better givers. When we look at God's definition of being rich, he doesn't say give so that you can get. He says give so that you can get, so that you can give again. The sole goal of seeking God's richness in our lives isn't for our own benefit, but for the benefit of the kingdom. God promises us that when we give to him, He will give us the financial ability to be generous people. He will create within us a heart of generosity. And what that does for us, it gives us the ability to have a greater impact. Giving isn't about forcing God into a corner or forcing his arm behind his back to say, God, you said if I gave to you, you would bless me. And I could tell you story after story where people began tithing for the very first time and saw God do just that. But God does that so that we might become more generous and give to give in a greater way, that we can be used by God as vehicles of generosity. That's the third thing we see this morning. The third principle is that tithing expands our impact, and perhaps the most important point I can make about tithing is this one: at the end of the day, it's all about expanding God's kingdom. The focus on giving shouldn't be about how much we can amass in a church checking account or, or, or how much we can, we can save for a rainy day. Those things are important. But about how God can turn loose what we have given to Him. How He can open up the floodgates as He promises through Malachi, through the giving of our tithe. And if we give for any other reason than to see people come to a life-changing relationship with Jesus, then we have missed the point. Just like as everything we do and every time we talk about as, as a church, our giving is all about seeing lives transformed and relationships restored and people coming to find the life-saving power of Jesus. The goal behind our, our giving it goes back to everything that we do as a church and is to see people come to know Jesus Christ. We want to see our neighbors and our coworkers and our family and our friends transformed and restored and come to find the life that is available in Jesus. And God allows us to partner with Him in that. And He allows us to do that through our generosity. Imagine what God could turn loose in our community, in us, in the relationships that we have, if we allow ourselves to trust Him and to strengthen our generosity over and over again, and for that to be deepened by the ways that we give. Imagine the ministries that could sprout, the involvement that could happen, the greater missions that we could support, the students that could be reached, the influence that we could have and can make into the lives of people that surround us if we open ourselves up to be used by God by tithing. Studies show that the average percentage of giving per Christian in America is about 2%. Imagine what he could do with 10. And so this morning, I want to invite you, unapologetically, to begin tithing. But if you've never obeyed God's prompting to tithe, I want you to consider making that commitment this morning. I can't promise that it will be easy. I can't promise that it won't stretch you. It is a sacrifice for a reason. But I can tell you that in all my years of tithing, I have never once missed the money when I can see the impact that God can do with what I put in his hands. And I'm guessing that many of you have similar stories of seeing how God has showed up time and time again when we trust him in this way. And so for some of you, maybe that means prayerfully doing the the unattractive math part of tithing, of putting pen to paper to figure out just what 10% of your income is that you could give to God. For some of you, maybe that means setting aside money every week, purposely putting it aside to make sure it isn't spent, so you can give to God first as an act of trust. For some of you, maybe this is just a time to reflect back on how God has continued to bless you because of your faithful response to giving. And to see how he has showed up over and over again. And how as we put him to the test, to see how he will continue to respond as we give. So I want you to I want to invite you to tithe, but I also want to invite you to give everything. I know maybe you think, thinking, whoa, 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 you said 10%, what's this 100% stuff? But everything not in reference to your wallet, but your life. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus also affirms the practice of tithing, but again, he calls us to a higher standard. Speaking against the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of his day, Jesus says, "'Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites!' You give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus says, you guys give 10% out of your spice racks, but you've missed the bigger picture. All of the money in the world if not joined with your life is meaningless in God's economy. Jesus affirms the tithe. He says, don't, don't Neglect the former, but he also recognizes the need for deeper deeper discipleship. And I think, again, one of the dangers of tithing is often we can have this mindset if I give 10% of what I have to God, well, then the rest of the 90% of everything else is mine. What God is calling us to do is not just give 10% of our stuff, but to couple it with our heart. And without being coupled with our heart and our lives and everything within us, and that 10% means nothing. And so the next few moments, as we sing and as we have this time uh, of decision-making, I want you to consider prayerfully what you can give to God financially as He seeks to bless you in response. But I also want you to consider what it means to give Him your life and how you will see Him respond to your giving of everything with greater and greater generosity on his part. He is faithful. He is loving. And he will prove himself to be so every time you put him to the test. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning. And I know a giving sermon is not high on the list of what everybody wants to hear on a Sunday morning. But as we go through this little book, and we ask the tough questions about life, we see that giving comes up for a reason. And as you call us to return to you, sometimes that's connected with the fact that we have not been generous with what you've given us. Whether that be money or time or resources or energy. Thank God you're calling us to give to you and return to you in this way. And so God, this morning as we come before you, we are just reminded of Jesus' sacrifice. Of what he gave so that we might have true life. And that, God, if you would give us your Son, the greatest thing that you had to give, how would we ever think that we, you would withhold anything else? And so, God, we just pray that we would be faithful. Faithful in the way we live our lives, faithful in the way we give our tithes, faithful as we walk with you, knowing that you are good and loving God. God, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that we have the opportunity and the invitation to put you to the test and see how you will make us into generous people so that we can be a blessing and have a greater impact for your kingdom. We pray that through what we give, Jesus would be made known. We pray that in his name, amen.